Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. So you have to be aware of that. You need to be cautious of that. But Paul's saying, he's like, look, these guys are intending to hurt me, but they're proclaiming the gospel. So let them do it. Let them do it. And he's going to go further into that of how we ought to look and and what really is our example. Who is our example? Jesus is your example. That's why Paul, when he goes into chapter 2, he's he's throwing out several examples. Live like these guys. Live like these guys. And, And top one, numero uno, is Jesus himself. In this world, there are a lot of role models and people to follow after. However, as you listen to today's message from Pastor James, he reminds you that there's really only one perfect example. Jesus is the perfect example to try and model yourself and your life after. Other people on a pedestal will eventually let you down, but Jesus never will. Pastor James urges you to place Jesus as your number one role model. Seek to live and to be like him. You can do this by staying in the Bible and through prayer. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Philippians chapter 1 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, says this. I'm going to read from New Living Translation just because I I appreciate some of the clarity it brings with some of the verses we're covering today. But wherever you're at, just try to follow along. Verse 27 says, but whatever happens to me, this is Paul writing to the church there, you must live in a manner worthy of the good news or worthy of the gospel about Christ as citizens of heaven. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing side by side, fighting together for the good news. Don't be intimidated by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ. Well, let's skip that next part. Let's go right to verse 30. No, we have to read this next part. You've been given the privilege of not only of trusting in Christ, but the privilege of suffering for him as well. Oh, please underline that. Put a star next to that, Christians. Suffering is part of the deal. Don't let anybody deceive you. Don't let anybody trick you. Suffering is a part of the deal. Well, I don't know if I want that deal. You, you do. You really do. You do, okay? It's for your, it's for your benefit. It says don't, uh, you know, the suffering, it's, it's an aspect of it. As I'm looking for my spot, I just lost it here. There we go. Um, the privilege of suffering for him as well. We are in this fight together. You have seen me suffer for him in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of, great, of a great struggle. So I'm going to pause there before we get into chapter 2. Um, so we're, we're continuing on. Paul is just letting them know. We, we went through this last section um, last week where Paul's going through, and he's dealing with enemies. Right? So Paul's locked up. He's in jail. He's, he's in Rome, in prison, writing this letter. And as he's been locked up in jail, there have been other people who are proclaiming the gospel, some out of like good intentions. And their, their, their thought process is, well, if Paul is locked up in jail, well, then who's going to preach the gospel? Well, I will do it. 
And so they go for it, all for the glory of Jesus. They're going to step up. They're going to, they're going to, you know, it's the next man up philosophy, right? We hear that a lot in sports. That's how they were living their lives. They're like, well, if Paul can't do it, then I will do it. Now, there's a whole other group of individuals who did not like the Apostle Paul, who were jealous and envious of, of his fame, quote unquote. And so they started proclaiming the gospel. And Paul's whole mindset and that whole thing is like, cool, sweet. No, but they're doing it to hurt you, Paul. He's like, I don't care. Is it hurtful? Yeah, of course it is. Because he's a real person. He's a human being. So it is hurtful. But Paul's whole objective, his whole goal in life was that Christ be honored, that Christ be magnified, that Christ be glorified, that the gospel goes out. And Paul's like, I don't care if it's these guys intending to hurt me or these guys who are on the same side as me as far as like encouraging me, wanting to bless me by doing this. As long as the gospel is getting out, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter to me, which is such a good lesson for Christians today. Today. You're not supposed to fight each other. We talked about this. If, if there's a believer that maybe you don't like their style, maybe you're not fully on board with all that they, if they're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, let them do it. Let them do it. Now, if somebody, and we covered this too, because I have to throw this disclaimer out there. Now, if somebody is proclaiming a false gospel, well, then make sure that people are aware of that. You know, if there are wolves, you want to warn the sheep that there are wolves. And guess what? There are wolves disguised as sheep out there. They are. We're going through Revelation. We went through Revelation chapter 13. There's this guy. He's called the false prophet. He looks like a, he has this appearance of a lamb but he speaks like a dragon. Now, there are lots of false prophets out there today. They look the part, but they're not really speaking the part. So you have to be aware of that. You need to be cautious of that. But Paul's saying, he's like, look, these guys are intending to hurt me, but they're proclaiming the gospel. So let them do it. Let them do it. And he's going to go further into that of how we ought to look and, and what really is our example. Who is our example? Jesus is your example. That's why Paul, when he goes into chapter 2, he's, he's throwing out several examples. Live like these guys. Live like these guys. And, and top one, numero uno, is Jesus himself. So Paul is saying, that's why he picks up in verse 27. He says, meanwhile, so while I'm locked up and all this stuff, and I really want to come and see you guys, and, and if uh, he's, he goes on, you know, he's saying, like, if I'm able to, then praise God. But in the meanwhile, while I'm not with you, how should you be conducting your lives? That's this portion that we're going through, verse 27. Meanwhile, whatever happens to me, I guess is the other way you can say that, verse 27, but whatever happens to me, you must live in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ as what? As citizens of Philippi? As citizens of America? No. As citizens of heaven. We need to get it straight. We need to get it straight. We live in a great country. You live in a beautiful country. You got freedoms. Amen for all that stuff. You are a citizen of heaven, first and foremost. That is where your allegiance is. That is where your allegiance is. Be a good citizen in America because you're a Christian. And the more, and like he's saying here, he's like, look, the more in line you are with your citizenship in heaven and, you know, your relationship with the Lord, you'll be a good citizen anywhere you live. 
you can, go to, you can go to communist China. You can still be a good citizen there because you're a good citizen with your natural citizenship, your supernatural citizenship, which is in heaven. So Paul's saying, he's like, look, so whether I show up or not, here's what you ought to be doing. Live in a manner, your lifestyle represents Jesus and the gospel. So live in a manner worthy of that. Please note, nowhere in here does he say live a perfect life. You know why he doesn't say that? Because it's not possible. It's not possible. You're, you're going to make mistakes. You and I, we will make mistakes. We're really good at it. We've made so many of them. We have perfected mistakes, okay? We know how to, so don't pretend like you don't because you do, right? We're wearing masks nowadays. Don't wear that mask, okay? That hypocrisy thing. He's not talking about getting it perfect. He's not talking about that. He's just saying live in a manner that is worthy. So when people are looking at your life in the midst of a, a pandemic and you seem to have peace, people will ask you, how are you so calm right now? The Lord. That's the Lord Jesus. That's how I'm calm. Aren't you concerned? Aren't you worried? I'm not worried. I'm not worried. Am I aware? Totally. Totally aware. But am I worried? I'm not worried. I'm not. Why? Because, man, I just trust Jesus. I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen. But I do know this. Jesus is in control. And I'm good with that. I'm okay with that. So in the meantime, let's live as, you know, worthy, you know, worthy of the gospel of Jesus, as good citizens is what this is saying, of heaven. Please, I, I want us to burn this into, in an election year. I want us to burn this into our hearts that you are citizens of heaven. Should you vote? Yes, absolutely. Be smart. Go. You have the right, so do it. Know who you're voting for. Know what they represent. Know what they're really about. Go for it. There are people all across this globe who don't have the right to do it, and they would love the opportunity to, to have a say when it comes to their government. We get that. Don't neglect that. But also, go to the polls as a citizen of heaven. As a citizen of heaven. What does it mean? I got to use my Bible to vote? No, it, needs, it means you got to use common sense to vote, and you need to, you need to see what these people are about. You got to see what they're about. What do they represent? Be a good citizen. Being a good citizen of heaven means that you will be a good citizen of America. You will be. He says, then whether I, I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are what? You are standing side by side. Live your life in such a way that you are, man, you're causing people to, to ask good questions. You're representing the gospel by how you live your life. But then also in church and together with brothers and sisters, whether it's Calvary Galveston or whatever church across this globe, it does not matter. We should all be able to work side by side. If Jesus is the point, if he's the reason why we're here today, if he is truly the builder of the church and all churches, if it's really about him, then we should work side by side. We should be able to do that. There should be no, there should be no issues with that. But there are issues. Why? Well, because we're really good at messing up good things, okay? The church is an amazing thing. The church is a beautiful thing. But Paul says, no, no, I don't care if I'm there or not there. You better be getting along 
and you better be working side by side. So don't just do it when I show up. You know, the, the, the cat's away, the mice will play. We understand that philosophy. You may, you may exercise that philosophy at your workplace, unless you're the boss and you're like, drives me nuts, right? But when the boss is away, hey, you know, it's, no, no, no. Paul's saying, look, whether I'm there or not does not matter. It doesn't matter. You work side by side, fighting together for the good news, fighting together, not fighting against each other, but fighting together, together. Now, what we need to understand, and we'll get into this as we venture into to chapter two a little bit, um, I, I want you to understand that unity doesn't mean sameness, okay? It doesn't mean that because we're unified, we all look the same and we all talk the same and every church is going to be the same. That's not what that's talking about. If that's your view of what that means, then you're going to be really shocked when you get to heaven. You're going to be like, whoa, I didn't think it was going to be like this. Yeah, because you got it wrong the whole time, right? So unity, we can be united, but look totally different. We can, and that's why, that's why there can be multiple churches throughout a city. And I, I, I'm glad for that. I don't think there should be one church in one city. That's nonsensical. We've talked about that before, but that does not make any sense at all. It doesn't make any sense at all, okay? There are multiple churches on this beautiful island. There are other, man, churches that are just all about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're representing Jesus, and they're preaching Jesus and proclaiming Jesus, and they're able to reach people that Calvary Galveston is not going to reach. Here's a shocker. Not everybody's going to like this church, and that's okay. That's all right. Some people will come in these doors and they'll be like, I don't like that church. Okay, fine. It doesn't hurt my feelings at all because there are a lot of other good churches to go to. So find the one that you, I would pray that you find the one that God is calling you to be at so that you can invest in that church so that you can be active within that church because Christians are not supposed to be spectators. We're supposed to be participators in this whole body life thing. I praise God that there's a diversity within the body. I praise God for that. That's a beautiful thing. That's an amazing thing. But we should be able to work shoulder to shoulder, side by side, side by side for the gospel of Jesus, all for the good news. Here's the next part, good encouragement for all of us. Don't be intimidated by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. This is, this is an amazing thing. I, I want to read to you from the, the Message Bible. Again, I know. I bring this out every so often. I don't want you to be alarmed. It's okay. Eugene Peterson, he did a fantastic job on this Bible. I, I, I appreciate it at times, okay? Now, I don't study from this, but I devotionally read from this sometimes, all right? Here's what he says concerning this part. Stand together, singular in vision contending for people's trust in the message or in the gospel, not flinching or dodging in the slightest before the opposition. Your courage and unity will show them what they're up against. Your courage and your unity as brothers and sisters will show the enemy what they're up against. That's why we need to be united. We need each other because we're all getting attacked it's a spiritual warfare that we're in. We're all getting attacked, so we need to be united. We need to have a strong front because it shows the enemy, it demonstrates to the enemy what they're up against. Defeat for them, victory for you. And both because of God. So you don't get the glory, I don't get the glory, but it communicates to the enemy, listen, we're together. 
We're together. And what did Jesus say about the church? The gates of hell will not prevail against it. So try as you might to come against the church. The church truly is unstoppable. It truly is. But within the church, and I know buildings and walls, it's not the church. I get it. I get it. That's fine. Um, But as we corporately gather, there ought to be singular vision, okay? There ought to be a oneness that's there. We gather together because of Jesus, for Jesus, to worship Jesus, to encounter Jesus, and to be changed and transformed by Jesus. What Calvary Galveston is about is Jesus, okay? Above all things, Jesus. So we want to be united on that front because we are in spiritual, we're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual battle and we need each other. We need each other. You can't do this on your own. You're not that strong. I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord. You're not that strong. You need the body and the body needs you. Isn't that a beautiful thing? that you're valuable. The Lord sees so much value in you. And he says, I want to connect you to a body because number one, I put some gifts and talents in you. I have pre-programmed you. I've hardwired you to have these gifts and abilities. Now I want you to use them. So I'm going to put you in a body where you get to use those gifts. But then here's the benefit. As you read through Ephesians chapter 6 and you go through the spiritual, warf- the spiritual armor that we need to be putting on in each, each and every day, there's nothing for your back. Now, I get the breastplate of righteousness. Like, I get that. That's going to cover. And, and some, you know, smart guy would come along and say, well, there has to be a back piece to that, too. I think you understand what I'm saying. There's nothing mentioning covering your back because you're not expected to defend your own back. You, together as a body, should be watching each other's backs as we engage in this warfare. Paul's just encouraging these guys. Like, he's like, look, the battle's real. We're, we're in a real fight here. So we might as well be together fighting on the same side and not killing each other with friendly fire. There's too much of that that's happening with inside the churches. We need to identify that there is a true enemy and It is a spiritual warfare, and we do have adversaries, and and yes, the enemy can use humans and individuals to attack the church, and absolutely, absolutely, but we got to identify who the real enemy is, and that's Satan, and man, he's gunning for the church, so we ought to stand together, united. Whether Paul's here or not here, we should be fighting alongside each other. For the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not intimidated. There's that, this term. It's not the same one that we've been noting as we've been walking through Philippians, but it speaks of confidence. Christians, where is your confidence? You have it. Stand firm. Stand confident. There's, there's no room for this, you know, timidness and, and all. No, be confident in the Lord. Stand firm. Don't be intimidated by your enemies. Some of us are giving way too much power to the enemy. Way too much. I I get it. He's a scary guy. I understand the attacks and and all that stuff. But you don't give him more power than what he has. Greater is he who lives in you than he who is in the world. What, What else do you need? What else do we need? The Holy Spirit resides inside of you. What else do you need? 
If we walk around with fear, then we're saying that he's not enough. That's why we stand firm in who he is. The Holy Spirit inside of us, we're not intimidated by our enemies. We're not intimidated. We stand firm. Knowing this, when it says there you're, that you're going to be saved, it's not talking about salvation. It's talking about rescue. You, if, if your faith and trust is in Jesus Christ, salvation is yours. That's happened. But this is speaking of a, like a rescue-type scenario. He knows how to deliver you. He knows how to show up at the right time. He knows how to rescue you. He knows how to save you. Our God is in the business of saving souls, whether that's booking your ticket to heaven or as you've been walking with the Lord for 20-something years or whatever it is and you're under attack, the Lord knows how to step into your life and save you. He never stops saving, and that includes you, your testimony. I got saved. No, no, I'm being saved every single day. Not that I've lost my salvation because that's secure in Jesus, but man, he's rescuing me every single day in ways that I don't even know, ways that I don't even recognize. And we thank him for that. So we're not intimidated. We know from which side we fight from. You've been given the privilege not only of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege. It's not a typo. I know you're reading your Bible. You're looking at your Bible and you're like, this, the translator's messed up on this word. It's, it shouldn't say privilege. No, it, it should and it does. You've been given the privilege to suffer for his sake to suffer for his sake. He, Eugene Peterson in the, the message says, um, there's far more to this life than trusting in Christ. There's also suffering for him. And suffering is as much, as the, is as much a gift as the trusting. That's fascinating. We don't, we don't like that. It's not a great selling point when it comes to Christianity, right? That's why, a lot of, that's why a lot of pastors won't ever talk about it. No, no, give your life to Jesus and, man, it's smooth selling. You'll be good and you'll get it. I don't, I don't, I don't know where they're finding some of this stuff, but the reality of the gospel is like, hey, give your life to Jesus. It's probably going to cost you something. But is it worth it? Totally. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a privilege to suffer for Jesus. I was listening to a, a, a message actually on this passage just this week, uh, Britt Merrick from Reality in Carpinteria, and he was talking about how their staff, small staff up there, you know, out there on the West Coast, and how they were going through this time of difficulty. Like three people on their staff ended up with Lyme disease. Now, this, he preached this message years ago, okay? He's no longer the pastor there, but... He's at, at that point in time, three of his staff members of their small staff, I've been there before, they, they have a small staff. Three of them had Lyme disease, right? Like, who gets Lyme disease? I don't, I mean, you're backpacking in the Appalachian Mountains and you get bit by a, like a deer tick or something, like that's Lyme disease, right? Like, how in California? I don't know. But he's got that. Another one of their staff members had some intestinal issues going on and doctors couldn't figure it out. And then another guy on staff, his wife had gotten really sick. And then if you know Britt Merrick's story, at this point in time, his daughter Daisy was still alive and she was going through and she had cancer. And he's like, man, our staff was getting bombarded with all this stuff. And he's like, and we're, he's like man, we're going around the office and, and we're rebuking the devil. He's like, we're, we're praying, we're doing all this stuff. And he said, you know what we, what we never thought about? And they just started teaching through the book of Philippians. 
He's like, what we never thought to do was to stop and to thank God for the suffering. Thanks for joining us today on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through the book of Philippians, a New Testament letter written by the Apostle Paul. This letter was meant to encourage the church in Philippi. Paul expressed great appreciation for this group of believers, and he made sure to mention that they were very generous in supporting his ministry. This is how we feel here at Bread for the Broken, too. We're so grateful for your listening support, as well as any financial support you feel led to give. We ask that you pray for this ministry and also pray about supporting us in ways that are necessary to keep these teachings airing to people near and far. If you're interested in being a part of this support, go to breadforthebroken.com and click on the About tab. You'll find a link there to donate. Thank you for your prayerful consideration of giving to us here. If you missed any of this teaching or would like to hear more from Pastor James in the book of Philippians, visit our website today at breadforthebroken.com. Look under the Listen tab. We'd also love to meet you too, so if you're in the area, come visit us at Calvary Galveston. We meet each Sunday and Wednesday for worship and Bible study. Find out more at breadforthebroken.com. Thanks for joining us today as a part of our listening audience. Through this ministry, the gospel is going forth and lives are being changed. Tune in next time for more from the Book of Philippians, right here on Bread for the Broken.